All right. Welcome to church. If you have a Bible, let's open together to Luke chapter 16. How many of you read Luke 16 this week before coming to church? Okay, a few of you. Good. Great. Most, many of you. What'd you think? It's got a really challenging parable in it. And um, would you be surprised if sometimes you read what Jesus said and you said, ah, I don't know if I get that. I need to read that again. Would it surprise you if Jesus said something that you didn't get immediately? The answer should be, no, he's God. So I might have to think twice about what he's saying so that I have it. He is in a category of teaching, and he has a tendency to take something like a parable and put a twist on it that you have to say, huh. And this is one of those parables. Remember, a parable means to set alongside. So he tells a story and sets it alongside a spiritual principle that he's wanting us to understand. And as is the case in um, one out of three parables, this one is about money. It's about money. But Jesus did that a lot. He talked about money. And the reason he talked about money is because we think about money a lot. It takes money to live in the world. And money is just a part of the human exchange. Of We think of money all the time. Someone has said, if you live to be 85, you, you, you'll be thinking of money 50 years of your life. You know, where you're really just thinking about it. And that's just the way life is. Life takes money to go to the grocery store and to go to the gas station and to have a place to live and to retire. I mean, just money is a factor for life, right? So you go to church and say, you're going to talk about money? Yeah, it's part of life. So when Jesus talked about money, he was just bringing it down to the everydayness of life and then often bringing a spiritual truth to it. And this is what he does in this parable this morning. Now, I think what I want to do before we put anything on the screen is to read the parable. And then we're going to go back and understand it. But I want you to get the flow. And if you haven't read it yet, you're going to get the feel of, huh, on this parable. All right? Verse 1. He said to his disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said to him, what is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management. You can no longer be my manager. And the manager said to himself, what shall I do? Since my master is taking the management away from me, I'm not strong enough to dig. I'm ashamed to beg. I've decided what I will do. So when I'm removed from management, people will receive me into their houses. So summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, how much do you owe my master? And he said, a hundred measures of oil. And he said to him, take your bill, sit down quickly and write 50. And he said to another, how much do you owe? And he said, a hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, take your bill, write 80. And the master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. 
For the sons of the world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourself by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into eternal dwellings. And everybody said, hmm. Okay, I think there's something about this parable that's like, what? what's going on? And I just want to remind you that sometimes Jesus would tell a parable that had an evil person in it. And quite frankly, most of the characters in this parable are bad dudes. They're, they're corrupt. They don't behave well. You remember in Luke chapter 18, some of you will remember this, that Jesus, in trying to tell a parable, a spiritual lesson that we should always pray and never give up, he tells a parable about an unjust judge who doesn't fear God and basically hates people. Not the kind of judge you'd like to go before. He has no fear of God, and he doesn't respect people. And Jesus said, this judge had a woman coming to him, and she kept coming, give me justice. And the judge said, nope. Give me justice. Nope. And she just kept knocking. And finally, the judge, judge says, whatever, I'll give you justice. Just get out of my hair. That's the parable Jesus taught. What was he teaching? It's a parable with a, an operating principle of if that is true, how much more would God, if you look at that evil person, that judge? And in this story today, it's the same kind of motif. If this is the way business people in the world operate, and they are aiming at something, how much more should people of the kingdom work? That's where we're going. I'm giving you the easy lead to get there, okay? Should we go now? Let's go to verse 1. In verse 1, um, we read that he said this to his disciples. Got to underline that. You're a disciple. If you're a follower of Jesus, this is for you. There's a truth in this for us. Most of us remember that when um, Jesus explained why he taught in parables, he said it was for those who believe in me, and it was to obscure truth from those who rejected me. I tell parables so that you whose heart is open to me, you'll get it. But those whose hearts are hardened or dull to the Lord, the truth of God is obscured. So this is for the disciples. There was a rich man. So we're going to talk about money. There was a rich man. He had a manager. It's for the disciples. But we're going to go quick to verse 14, and then we'll come back to this. Verse 14. And the Pharisees, this is a controlling interpretive principle at the end of the parable, verse 14. We didn't read it. The Pharisees were, everybody, lovers of money. And when they heard these things, they ridiculed Jesus. So you have Luke telling there was a rich man. Jesus tells a parable. And at the end of the parable, verse 14, the Pharisees loved money. And they ridiculed Jesus. The word ridiculed is another translation of scoff. And the original sense of ridicule was the word nose. 
Why do you think? It's like to turn your nose up at something. And they scoffed at Jesus, turning up their nose and ridiculing him, saying his view of money is crazy. And there is going to be, throughout this parable, a juxtaposition of those who love Jesus and understand Him and those who don't know Him and don't understand Him. The Pharisees loved money, and they said what Jesus said about money was crazy. Now back to verse 1. Jesus tells a parable to His disciples. And as He tells it to His disciples, He says, There was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that he was wasting his possessions. If those of you who were here last week, you'll know from chapter 15 that the word wasting is a connection to chapter 15. The younger brother takes his possessions, and what does he do with them? He wastes them. He squanders them. So it's a tie a little bit to that. There are two figures in this parable. There's a rich man, an authority figure. He's in charge of everything. And he forces a moment of reckoning to the steward who has been misusing the funds that are his. And the subordinate is a steward or a manager, and he gets fired. And Jesus doesn't really want us to think about all the reasons why he gets fired, but the meaning that he's cutting to. So verse 2, And he called his steward, who was wasting his wealth, and he said, what's this I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management. You can no longer be manager. He says, you're fired. (laughs) You're done. Turn it in and give an account. And if this man is fired and his position is taken away, then his security financially is taken away. And he has to do something to make sure that his future is secure because his wealth-generating position is removed from him. And he has to make a decision suddenly. And that's what the, the rich man puts him in a position say, what are you going to do? I'm going to take this away from you. What will you do in a moment of decision? And then we get to verse 3 and 4. The manager said to himself, what shall I do? Since my master is taking my management away from me, I'm not strong enough to dig. I'm ashamed to beg. The self-aware in the story is telling a story. I just want to do those things. And then he says, I have decided what to do. I've made a decision. By the way, so making a decision is part of what Jesus is underscoring here because in the parable or the laying alongside, there is a spiritual decision that a listener who hears the meaning of the parable is going to have to make a decision. This man says, I'm I'm making this. This is what I'm going to decide to do. I've decided that when I am removed from my management, I'm going to do something so that people receive me into their houses. I'm going to do in this moment of decision what is going to secure my future in the days ahead. And the security will be that when I don't have money myself, I will have friends in my world who I've been good to, that they will welcome me in and they will care for me. Okay, that's the point. It's not complicated. It's just I'm going to take care of myself 
by the way, I do this business. So what does he do? He's, he's simply going to be shrewd, and he's going to cook the books on his boss. And it's like, this is a Bible parable? Yeah, he takes the books. So verse 5, summoning his master's debtors, he said to one of them, how much do you owe my master? I owe 100 measures of oil. 100 measures of oil was like 900 gallons of oil. It took 150 trees to produce it. It was a lot. This is a story, right? So he says, I owe a lot. I'll just cut it in half. Now you only owe 50. And they said, how much do you owe? I owe 100 measures of wheat. 100 measures of wheat was like 1,000 bushels, years to produce. Why don't you cut it by 20? Oh, cut it by 20, cool. That means the, the shrewd and dishonest steward took his master's money and reduced the tab that was owed back to his master and let his associates cheat the master. It's like, wow, that doesn't seem... Remember, Jesus is not t telling business ethics here. He, he's telling a story about shrewdness, that he's going to do this. And here you get the verdict in verse 8. Verse 8 says, the master, the rich man from verse 1, commends the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. It's like, Really? And I think of it this way, that the rich man goes, what did you do? Oh, man. Touche. You got me. You got me. Now, most of us would say, well, no, if I was the rich man, I'd take him to court and I'd get my money back. And Jesus said, no, this is the shrewdness of a dishonest manager. He's cooking the books for his own benefit so that in the future, these two people that he just forgave someone else's debt that they owed to him, they, they let him off the hook, they're going to be his friends and they're going to take care of him in his impoverished future. That's the point. You get it? I know it doesn't feel good because it all doesn't feel ethical, but Jesus told the story for a purpose. And the purpose was this. If, if that's the way the world works, everybody, how much more in a different way? This is, this is going to be a how much more. This is bad. But if that's the way the world operates, and we would say that is the way the world operates. The sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. Now, Jesus is coming down to give an analysis. It is that people who are not a part of the kingdom, the sons of this world, as compared, this is huge symbolism, as compared to the sons of light, that would be people who recognize the Messiah as king. Jesus came into the world, said, I'm the king of the world. I am Jesus, the Messiah. And people said, the kingdom of God is here. I'm following Jesus. And Jesus in his parables makes a distinction that is clear now, sons of this generation and sons of the king of light. And he's simply saying, the way the world operates with each other, this is the way they operate. They're very shrewd, very cunning. They take care of each other. And you think, oh yeah, that's the way people use money, right? Politicians use money to secure their future. Shrewd, 
entrepreneurial, shady business dealers, like I'll do what I can to take care of my future. And I'll do that's the world. Jesus is simply saying that in much of the world, the way the world operates with itself, it's uh, sort of without the same kind of moral principles that we would say a son of the kingdom would, wouldn't do that. But that's the way the world operates. I think that's what Jesus is really saying. The, the word, this is the twist, but this is the way the world often operates. Sons of the world, sons of the kingdom. Now, before we go to the next verse, it's like, what did he do with his money or this cunning? He made friends for himself with somebody else's money to secure his temporary future. Now we go to verse 9. It's like, here's the command. The command is, I tell you, I'm going to put it down to apply it to you, make friends for yourself. This guy's, what's Jesus saying? Go make friends. By means of unrighteous wealth. And I think unrighteous wealth here simply means the wealth that you make in the world, in this system where there is a lot of unrighteousness and all the ways money can be used, money on this side of heaven, money here. With the wealth that you have, I don't think he's saying do unrighteous things to make money, but simply the whole system in a broken, fallen world in men and women of this generation is in the category of unrighteous. It's not going to make it to glory. You're not going to take it with you. It's here in this world. Make friends with your money. And again, we say, really? Is that what Jesus is saying? I, I think it is. In the same way that the dishonest steward made money for his temporary, Jesus is saying you should use your wealth so that you make friends. Oh, but here's what kind of friends. So that when it fails, when what fails? Your money. When you have no more use of money. When do you have no more use of money? When is money not meaningful to you? Yeah, we should all get this. When will money no longer be useful? Eric? When you're dead. Until then, it's useful. And we need it, and we like it, and we want it, and we have to. You can't live without it. But when it fails, and you don't have money anymore, you're dead, but you have used your money to make friends, what's going to happen? They may receive you into the eternal dwellings. Think the parable. Unrighteous steward does what he does. He has friends. You, sons of light, use your money. Make friends who will welcome you into your eternal life with what you have done with your wealth. I think what Jesus is saying is you use your wealth to build, make friends 
who enter into the same kingdom that you are a part of and then enter into the kingdom of Jesus. You, you enter into heaven so that when you step into eternity, some will be there who will say to you, welcome home. Thank you for what you did with your money that helped me hear the gospel preached in Uganda where I gave my life to Jesus because there was a pastor who was trained there by the resources that you gave in the heart of Advent giving in 2022. Thank you that what you did with your resources made a difference in loving people you used your money to invest in gospel proclamation, in the planting of churches, in the work of evangelism. And I came to Christ because of what you did in sending out teachers or missionaries or pastors around the world. And that's how I came to Christ. And I know I'm in heaven today because of this preacher, but you supported that preacher by the money that you gave. And you used your unrighteous wealth to make friends for the kingdom who welcome you home when you get in. Does that make sense? A little hard? It's okay. I think that's what Jesus is saying. You have the opportunity to, to do that, to lead others, to follow the king, and, uh, and then they're secured for heaven. See, the unrighteous steward secured is temporal. We're securing our long-term future by what we do with what our money is. Let me give it to you in another way, and this, this may help. Matthew chapter 6, Jesus said something very similar. And he said, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, everybody, yeah, you're going to give where your heart is. You're going to do with your stuff where your heart is. I love God. I love the kingdom. I'm giving my resources to lay up for eternity, treasure in heaven. Is Jesus saying, don't hoard it here. Don't try to get as much as you can here. Think of your wealth as, as the way the steward thought of it. And this perhaps is the best way to imagine that the steward downgraded money from being an ultimate thing to being a useful thing. From being a tool or being a you know, you know the, the highest value to being an asset that could be employed. It's instrumental. It's not the goal of life. It's an instrument of life. You with me? Money is not our goal, our idol, our God. It's not the highest value. The steward said, I'm going to take money, and through money, I'm going to make friends. And I think Jesus said, you should make friends for heaven. Use your money. Love people. Don't use people and love money. It's very simple. It's like, oh, yeah, I should use what I have for God and His glory. Lay up treasure in heaven. Um, that's what I want to do. And then Paul picks it up. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, and another one that you should write down and study later, but in 1 Timothy chapter 6, as for the rich in this present age, and many of us fit this category, most all of us in America fit the category, whether we look at each other and say, well, I'm not that rich. No, but think about it. As for the rich in the present age, charge them not to be haughty or to set their hopes 
on the uncertainty of riches, but set your hope on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. I think Paul is saying it's not sinful to have money. God is the provider of all things. Many things richly to enjoy, but don't set your hope on money. What should the rich do? They are to do good, be rich in good works, be generous and ready to share. Again, deploy resources for God's purposes, sharing, being generous. And when we're generous on earth, we're doing just what the steward did. We're laying up treasure in the future with what we do with our wealth here secures a future treasure and a good foundation for the future so that we may take hold of what really is life. It's just a value system that money is not the goal. It is a means to the goal, which is God and His glory. We glorify God with our money, and we, we use our money, can I say, wisely, shrewdly? What is the best way to use this so that people will meet me in heaven with what I did with my wealth? Now do you see why the Pharisees are in verse 14 saying, you're crazy. Who thinks that way? Sons and daughters of the light think that way. Sons and, da sons and daughters of the light know that money is so hard to pull from our soul. And one of the ways you do it is you develop a radical kind of generosity that says, I'm going to use my resources to advance the kingdom so that people will hear the gospel. And one day I may step into heaven and unbeknownst to me, someone will say, thank you. Thank you. Can I illustrate it right here at Calvary? For the last four or five years, we have been adding young men and women to our staff who feel called to the ministry. We know that it's a little bit more than what is normal for our size, but we are investing in young people who have been called to the ministry, and we are training up a generation of people who are called by God to be pastors, and we're investing in them right now and will for the next five or six years, and then bring in another set, and we are trying to invest in them to grow up and go out and preach the gospel and onto the mission field. And every time we do that, it's like say, we want to invest in, in them so they can preach the gospel. And every time you're giving help makes that possible. I believe you are sharing in the laying up of a treasure in the future. If some of you would have heard Luke today and say, you know what? I want to make sure Luke has everything he needs in Uganda, and you go down, meet him in the cafe, and say, I want to help you. This is you, laying up treasure in heaven, making friends for eternity by your wealth. But you, but you get it, right? Are there any questions? Okay. Well, maybe that's enough. I have two more points. Okay, I'll do. Uh, here's the next one. Verse 11 and 12. 
Because some of you are saying, oh, well, that's for the rich people. Did you think that to yourself? He must be talking to the really rich people. No, no, no. Watch. One who's faithful in a little is faithful in much. You don't have to have a lot to be faithful. You just have to be faithful in the small things. And if you're unfaithful in the small things, you'll be unfaithful in the big things. Um, the true riches are the things of God. Be faithful in that. Walk with God. Here's a, here, did you hear what Jesus said about not loving wealth and loving Him and using your money um, for His purposes? And the last principle is verse 13, which says, nobody can serve two masters. Ooh, this is where it gets dicey in America. You can't love money and love God at the same time. You're not as a master. And it's just an important call to us because it is a draw for all of us to rely on our money, put our confidence in money. You can't love money and love God. You'll end up loving one, hating the other, or embracing one, despising the other. You can't serve God in money. Who's our God? God. And money is not our God. Money is a tool to be used for the kingdom to lead people into eternal life that when we get to heaven, they might say, thanks, good to see you. Riches I heed not, nor man's empty praise. Thou mine inheritance, now and always. Thou and thou only be first in my heart. High King of heaven, my treasure, thou art. Let's pray together. Oh God, thank you. Um, thank you for a challenge that stretches our brain and maybe our heart too to think about what we do with what we have. And I pray that you will help us not waste like this steward. He wasted his master's stuff. And all of us have so much, and I pray that you'll just call us not to waste what you have given to us, but today give us a vision for how we use our resources for kingdom purposes. And Lord, would you just release our affection for money and things, and instead just again reorder our hearts that we, it is the Lord God we serve, and we serve him that all, with all that we have. And whatever we've heard you say, Lord, help us to now have the courage of faith and volition to put it into practice. All that we have is from you, and we thank you for it. Pray we'll be good stewards of what you've given us. And may there be many people come into the kingdom of God because of the deployment of the resources of the sons and daughters of light. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.